Well, that's what makes Christmas so spectacular, really. Um, I always like the Christmas season. And it's for more reasons than just gifts, all right? I mean, I do like that. I've always liked it as a kid. Couldn't sleep Christmas Eve. I can sleep now on Christmas Eve like a baby. <laughs> but it's, not, it's, not, it's not the gifts. What I love about Christmas season is the ignored God for the rest of the year is hard to ignore at Christmas, right? I mean, the invisible God really becomes visible at Christmas. But I have noticed something that's been taking place over the years, and I I wonder if this year might be the worst year so far. Maybe you've noticed it as well. I've been listening to some radio stations. I've been driving around. Uh, secular radio stations that are promising to pre- play Christmas music now from now to Christmas. And uh, Lynn and I were discussing this, and, and if you listen to these stations, there's zero songs related to the theology of Christmas. Now, it used to be that you would have a, a few theologically good songs, a few Christmas carols that would be played, and I'd be, yeah, yeah, you know what, this is great, because... Because the people who don't hear about Jesus at least are, are being confronted with the truth and hearing it in the songs. That, but now it's disappearing. They're taking it away. It's like, it's like there's a conspiracy to make the visible God invisible all over again. To, to ignore Him even at Christmas. And the name, ironically, the name of the holiday is christ Mess. They're finding a way to... For him to disappear. That's tragic. You know, as you go to the mall, you're like, wow, these are our songs. The great songs of the faith in, at Christmas time to hear the, the theology of Jesus Christ. And you're, you're shopping, you always give your head a shake and say, wait a second, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. All these people are hearing. But I'm, I'm not seeing that this year. I'm not hearing that this year. If there's some mall that's playing theology, let me know. That's where I'll do my shopping. And so um, I think it's important for us as we begin this Christmas season together that we are very purposeful about our mission about Christmas. And um, my urgency today, especially as I think about all the children who are growing up now, are hearing nothing about Christ they're not hearing the Christmas carols at all. Certainly not at school. And they're not, if they're not hearing them on the radio, they're not hearing them in the malls. They'll have zero, zero memory of Christ. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that really, I find a real urgency about that. A real, it breaks my heart to think about that because there's no starting point. There's no, there's no place to begin And so I have a real urgency on my heart and a purposeful mission today with you. And that you might not miss any of the Christmas glories as we begin this series of messages over the Christmas season. I want to share five Christmas glories with you. There's so many, but I want to share five with you this morning that that I found in a text that's just a a spectacular text of Scripture. And um, it it tells us what Christmas has really set in motion. I want you to turn with me to Colossians. Um, chapter 1. I, I want to talk to you about the glory of Christmas in a culture of trivial pursuits. 
This is certainly not a trivial passage. Colossians chapter 1, I'd love to read the whole letter of Colossians. It's so spectacular, but I'm going to start at verse 13. I'm going to read to verse 23, but we're going to touch on some other things in this book, in this letter, I mean. Colossians 1 verse 13. For he, meaning God, the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of God. And what a spectacular section of God's word it really is. Father, um, lift us out of the trivial. May the pursuits of our lives reach the heights that the Lord wants us to have. I pray, Father, that um, we will understand the scenario, the situation of the, uh, of the culture around us and the desperate and increasingly desperate situation of finding ways to even ignore God in a holiday with your name. Father, it's, it's a, a startling agenda and, and sad, so sad and desperate. And Lord, um, I pray that our lives may be a living testimony to the supremacy of Christ in all things. And that, Lord, our mission here and our message and our programming and our Christmas preparations and our Christmas proclamations uh, might be filled with Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that it would be impossible to hang out with people from Calvary, to hang out in our church or outside of our church with people from Calvary, and miss the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, please, Lord, I pray that you would uh, freshen it up in our lives and give us a new, uh, new enthusiasm and energy today as we take some time just to look at this text, Father. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. So as I said, I want to just pick out five glories from this text. There are way more. But, but just five this morning that I think are really important for us as we just kick off this Christmas season and, and get rolling. Um, the first is this. It's found in verse 15. Look at it. He is, meaning Christ, He is 
the image of the invisible God. The first glory that I want to share with you this morning is the glory of the invisible God made visible, revealed, and made known to us by Christ. This is a spectacular thing that we have received. God has revealed himself. If you want to know God, you can. You can know him in Christ. Now, um, I want you to know that, that Paul here is is writing an apologetic to the, the people of his time who had misrepresented God in so many ways. They had made so many images and likenesses of God. You, you'll find him uh, proclaiming that to the Romans in Romans 1.23. He says, you, you have made gods in, in the likeness of created things, in, like animals and things of that nature. And, and then he goes to the Athenians and he says, you know, in the past, God had overlooked such ignorance as he looked around at their representations and likenesses of their many and multitudinous gods, the statues and the likenesses that they had created. And so he writes to the Colossians and says, Christ, Jesus Christ is the image of God. He is the express image of the invisible God. When John was writing his gospel, he said that... that, um, that uh, no one has seen God. God is spirit. But then he writes and says, but Christ, the word has become flesh and has fully explained him to us. So the invisible God has become visible to us in Jesus Christ. You can see that if you take Christ away from the the life of uh, the, the the situation of the uh, of our lives, of the lifestyles around us, of the, if the, the secular can remove any of the last vestiges of Christ, they can push the visible God back into invisibility. Why would they do that? Why, why would you want to make God invisible all over again? You see, if you uh, an invisible God is is up for subjective interpretation. That's what the Romans did that Paul was writing to. It legitimizes all the speculators around us who live around us and appease themselves by saying things like, well, I think God is. And I think God is like. And I think God is good with what I'm doing. But if you have a... God made visible and made known to us. And, and it says in the, in the John text, in the John gospel, that he has fully explained us, or literally fully exegeted God. He has fully made God known to us. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. That's what Jesus himself said in John fourteen nine. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen God. Now, I want you to know that he is not made in the image of God. We are. He is the image of God. He is the image of God. He wasn't made. He made everything. The firstborn, he stands at the front of creation. At the apex of creation. He's the supreme one over creation. 
He made all things, it says in the text. And by the way, in verse 19, it says of him that, that for it pleased God to have all his fullness dwell in him. That word fullness there means the completeness of God, the totality of God. There is no extra essence of God that is out there. Jesus Christ is the complete totality of the essence of God in this description of him. And so um, he didn't come into existence at Bethlehem. He came into visibility. For he himself made the mother who bore him. Now, um, we are to be revelation-dominated people. We live, of course, in a culture that is research and observation-driven, speculation-driven, but we are, we are revelation-driven people. I, I want you to understand this. this is so crucial for us today. Um, I was watching Krista Photoshop an image in the office this week, and I realized as she was doing her magic, that you can't trust anything you see anymore. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll see it. It's coming up at Christmas, Christmas presentation. But you can't trust anything you see. We are not to be observation, research-driven people. It's, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be people who, who, who observe things and research things. But we are fundamentally revelation-driven people and observation and research are subservient to revelation. The living God has revealed himself to us. And anything that wars against that revelation is to be subservient to what we know. It's important for us to realize that Each observer or researcher takes his starting cues from revelation, or should. Each observation, each observer, each researcher should um, look at his central discoveries or her central discoveries and line them up with revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And each researcher, each observer should form their conclusions and submit their conclusions from the foundation of revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, because he is over all things. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. The glory of the invisible God made visible, revealed and made known by Christ is the first glory of Christmas. Uh, The second is this. Look at verse 14. Jesus, the Son, verse 13, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. The second glory is this. The glory of reconciliation to God through the redemption Christ made possible with his payment. You remove Christ... There is no way to God. 
the redemption price to buy you out of the pawn shop prison of your sin is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Those who were alienated from God, once we were all alienated from God, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, literally meaning we were incomplete spiritually. We were in a state of spiritual incompleteness, disconnected from God, disconnected from the power source of God. We were all uh, living lives like those weak, solar-lighted lights. You know those solar-powered lights? Anybody have any of those things? They've been a disappointment to you? I was at Canadian Tire the other day, and I... I, um, I was looking at these lights for Christmas and I, I saw this purple light, this big purple globe light. And like, I got a thing with purple. I, I was explaining to the first service, I don't know what it is. When it's purple, I got to have it. It's just something, I don't know what it is. Lynn, I told him actually in the first service, if Lydia had been around before you, I would have married her instead of you. <laughs> the seller of purple. Just would have like, I don't know what it, what it is. It's just a purple thing. So anyway, I was, I was looking at this light and I, was, I, was, I, I needed to have it. I said, this has got to go on my yard. I don't know why. I just got to have this purple light. And, and Jordan was with me. And Jordan is the voice of reason. You know, you got, you, do you have a kid like that in your house? You got to have one of them at least. And, and so Jordan is kind of the voice of reason. He says, Dad, check it out. Check out the power source. He says, that thing is solar light. So you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to stick that in your garden. It's not going to have the juice. It's not going to have the, real, the, the, the brightness. And you're going to be frustrated with it. Don't spend your money on that. So I, I didn't. I, I listened to my son and, and his, his common sense. But if that baby had a, had an electric plug on it, I'm telling you, that thing would be in my garden right now. And this is what we're talking about with this. We were alienated from God. We were unplugged from the divine power source, right? Just trying to get through life, trying to make it on our own strength and our own energy, which is very, very pale. The glory of reconciliation made friends with God by Christ. To deny Christ's work in and over creation as the creator, the redeemer, if successful will negate the work of new creation. This, this is the agenda of the evil one. And then we're all doomed to die in our sins. Welcome to the good news they want to call happy holidays now. Without Christ, there's nothing happy about the holidays. And so he has reconciled us. Once we were dominated by darkness, we were not seen, we were not knowing. We were making harmful choices, we were making hurtful choices. To us and to people around us. But we have been moved into the kingdom of His Son. It says in verse 12, the kingdom of light. The kingdom where we have the leadership of the living God in our lives. That we might make choices that please Him. Which lead to good things. But third, the third glory, okay, is the reconciliation is the second glory. The invisible God being visible is the first glory. The, the third one is, is related to the whole idea of reconciliation to, to God. And once you are alienated to Him, and it says you will have this other glory, verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. 
What is the gospel? We're not ashamed of it, are we? What are we not ashamed of? We're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, what? The power of God to save. That's the gospel. The good news of Christmas is the power of God. He says here, you were once alienated from God. But Jesus Christ has redeemed you. He's purchased you out of the pawn shop of your sin and and brought you into the marvelous kingdom of light if you continue in the faith. The gospel, the power of God to save. And then he goes on to explain what is this amazing gospel. Verse 27. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's not trying to uh, make any of you feel insecure here when he writes that. Not at all. He's saying, where are you today? Are you steadfast and established in the faith, in the hope of glory? Christ in you? If you are, what's, you know, he's asking the question, what's the difference between a close encounter with God and a true Holy Spirit conversion? It's that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And today you'll live by faith believing that. Tomorrow you'll live by faith believing that. The next day you'll live by faith believing in that. And day after day after day, you will believe that and live in faith and hope that Christ is in you because Christ is in you. The hope of glory. He says, and the reality is, now, verse 24, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. He says, uh, I have Christ in me, and, and I'm living by faith, and I'm having to live by hope and faith because life is tough. Living in the fallen neighborhood every day of your life brings its fill of perplexities and hardships and the tough trips to the hospitals and all the things that go on in our lives. And Paul says this, Now, because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, suffering is purposeful and full of hope. Otherwise, suffering is pointless and hopeless. We live among people who are going through all kinds of difficult times, all kinds of struggles and and challenges and hardships and horrible situations. And to them, it all seems so pointless and vain. Why is this happening? No hope. Guilt-ridden, believing that for some reason that maybe all this that's coming upon them is some sort of punishment. Paul says, now because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Suffering is purposeful and full of hope. You've been rescued. You've been given fullness, spiritual completeness in Christ. You're no longer alienated but connected. To the divine power source. You've been adopted in the family of God. No longer are there accusations. Pastor Dwayne 
stood before us this morning, just before his prayer, in, in response to the amazing song the choir sang this morning, and said, you know, standing before God, wondering what he will say to you. Will it be, welcome, come to me, or an accusation? Someday, every knee will bow. Sometime, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ in you, the hope of what? The hope of distress, the hope of a wrecked life, the hope of a a bad future, the hope of glory. Fourthly, the, the glory of having Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why? I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Verse 8. See to that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The glory of having the treasures, the hidden treasures, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the truth, Wisdom and knowledge. I, I mean, do you have anybody around you who's saying, don't tell me you believe that Jesus stuff. Don't tell me you believe that Bible stuff. That Bible was just written by people. Don't tell me you're believing that. That's a fine-sounding argument. That's what he's talking about. Don't tell me you believe in that, that fantasy. I mean, are you aware of all, the, uh, of all the conspiracy theories out there? Are you aware of the fact that, that, that there, are, there are ancient mytho- mythological uh, um, uh, renditions of the virgin birth. You don't know the god Apollo was uh, born of a virgin. You don't know that Horus in the Egyptian mythology was born of the virgin Isis. Do you not know all of this stuff? All these fine-sounding arguments, all of these philosophies of human traditions and all the things that are out there? Do you think the writers of the scriptures didn't know about those? They were writing about them. That's what Paul's talking about. Do you not think that the evil one knew of the philosophies or knew of the prophecies of the scriptures? Starting with Genesis 3, 15, the promise of a Messiah, the promise of a, a payment, the promise of a virgin birth. Do you think the evil one didn't know all about this stuff? Do you think he has no abilities to, to create carbon copy mythology? Paul says, don't be afraid. Christ in you, the hope of glory, brings with him the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of the truth. Satan's biggest weapon is lies. You have in you the Christ of truth. I've been studying the scriptures intensely for a a lot of years. 
And I've never been more certain about the truth of Scripture, about the truth of Jesus Christ, than I am this morning. My study just continues to build upon itself more and more conviction of the fact that this is absolutely true. Not because of anything I have intellectually, not because I'm intelligent, but because the promise of Christmas is that Christ, the Christ of Christmas, who went to Calvary and was raised from the dead, lives in you and brings with him the rebuttals, the refutations to all of the self-proclaimed intelligentsia of Jesus supposedly being a prophet, as our uh, Islamic friends suggest, who, who, who didn't go to the cross. There was a swap. Another one went to the cross and that one went into the grave so that Jesus could appear alive. Jesus never actually died and rose again. That's what our Islamic friends believe. (laughs) Paul said, "Um, are you kidding me? But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation Through him he reconciled himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. He is the firstborn from the dead. There's one more amazing glory. Having acquired the mind of Christ displaces all the lies of Satan. I know I'm part of the truth story. You're part of the truth story if you have Jesus in your life. There's one more. I don't know if you caught this while we were describing Christ, but notice what it says here about him in verse 16. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Get this, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Now Paul is talking about, well you tell me what word I should use. He's talking about some things, a few things. What is he talking about? All. Now they were being buffeted back and forth by the powerful work of the opposing evil forces of Satan and his demonic hordes. They knew what it was to face that kind of opposition. And Paul says, do you realize what Christ has done? Christ has not only made all of these things, but notice what it says in verse 9 of chapter 2, for in Christ all the fullness of of the deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ who is head, the head over every power and authority. And then over in verse 15 he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The the fifth glory is this, the glorious, powerful riches of Christ always overpowering the minions of darkness on your behalf. There is a dark, wicked, super force of beings 
in opposition, aligning themselves against you all the time. There's always opposition from the evil forces against you. We know that this ministry is being opposed. There was wickedness in the ACC last night. I knew there was demonic things going on in that place. It's always opposing the work of God. I tell you what. And he's arraying his forces against the proclamation and presentation of the word of God and the truth of the Christmas story and the presentations that that God has laid on our hearts to do this month and the people that are coming here. You think that the leaders of your church are cowering in some back room afraid? We would be if it were not true that Christ is over all and is overpowering all and has disarmed the evil forces. Otherwise, we're all at the disposal of the full forces of darkness all the time. We're not to be timid and tentative and quiet and lack boldness and lack confidence and be unnerved by all this things. All this stuff is created by him. You're saying, wait a second, why would he create evil things? All right, wait. He didn't create evil things. Christ created everything and it was Good. There was a rebellious conspiracy of the authorities, the powers, the thrones, the principalities in invisible heavenly places. We'll talk about some of that tonight. That have arrayed themselves against the purpose of God. But do not despair. The glories of Christmas are that, that Christ is over all. All things have been created for Him, by Him, and for Him. And for his glory. Christ is in you and over them. Some of you may be facing some challenges and some struggles and some opposition and some stuff that's really demonic in its opposition strength. But know this in Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You may be asking, how is this going to end? What's going to become of me? Are are things going to be okay? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, your life is hidden in the safe custody and protection of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the the glory of the universe, the Christ who is the image of the invisible God, who is the maker of all things, the one who is the head of the church, the one who has reconciled us by his blood to, to the Father, the one who has paid the redemption price by dying on the cross, the one who is the firstborn, who's raised from the dead to to promise to us that, that we too will receive eternal life. This same one, is hiding your life in his so that when he appears and he will appear, you will appear with him in glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I gotta be honest with you. Mommy kissing Santa Claus is just not cutting it for me. 
in comparison to the grandeur of the real message of Christmas and the Christ of Christmas and the theology of Christmas, the truth of Christmas, the power of Christmas, the glory of Christmas, the Christ, the one before all things. So, let's make sure that our lives reflect a glorious message, Christmas. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's make sure that that we testify by our life, by our actions, by our thoughts, by our attitude, by what we hunger and thirst for, by what we long for, by who we love and how we love him. That Christmas is and always will be until we go to glory about Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. Father, I I pray that you would help us in our lives, in our ministry, in our mission, in everything that we do to bring the message to people about Christ, the hope of glory. For Jesus' sake, amen.